turn in again to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, well-known passage, the temptations of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, 40 days tempted of the devil. In those days he did eat nothing. When they were ended, he was hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. This is a very hard passage in the scriptures. People have wondered about it over the centuries. And we come back to it often to consider it and to think of it. It's a hard passage. But the skeptics, they will say, well, what about this then? Your scriptures, your scriptures you trust in, your Bible you believe in, what about this then? Devils and God, the Son of God, God being tempted, seeing the whole world at once, the Lord Jesus Christ being set on a pinnacle of the temple, contemplating falling off and being caught by angels, stones being turned to bread, the Lord Jesus quoting the Old Testament to the devil. Well, this is a bit much for some. Some accept a historical Jesus, but many others, they uh, have great trouble in believing he even existed. Well, some believe that there was a real Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who commanded quite a following in his day and who had disciples who tried to write it all down. But this, <laughs> this, this to many is fanciful. This to many is just mysterious, too mysterious to take seriously or to look at and to find any help in. Can you call this a history as the Lord Jesus Christ is taken from his baptism into the desert by the Holy Spirit and then these very, very strange things happen. This uh, speaking with the devil and these temptations that come to our Lord. Can we call it a history? Even if there is some truth here, some lesson, surely. Surely this did not actually happen. Now, of course, I cannot prove to you that this is a real history of events after Christ's baptism and before verse 14 where we read, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there in verse 15, when he taught in the synagogues, being glorified of all, they were amazed at him and what he said and what he did. The more, any more than I can prove to you, uh, the many miracles and the signs and the wonders that the Lord Jesus Christ performed in his ministry. Well, of course, it's all down to belief. <coughs> it's all down to faith. It's all down to belief in God's word, the Bible. If we reject this, or if we pick and choose what we're going to believe from the Holy Scriptures, then we've had it. Of course, it is revelation or guesswork to all the questions that we haven't got an answer to and we can never have an answer to concerning our lives when we quit this world, concerning our God, concerning our soul's need, 
concerning sin and our offence to God. We cannot know these things, even the origins, really. We can only find in the scriptures as we see how God created the heavens and the earth. Friends, it's revelation or guesswork. There's no other way of proceeding. So what are we going to do? Guess? Are we going to take even a passage like this here this evening and just dismiss it and go on guessing about the Lord Jesus Christ, about who he was, what he did, and does it have any relevance to us? If anyone remains antagonistic, I don't think we can help them. But if for a while we would take this passage seriously, then it's amazing, friends. It's amazing how much help we can get from such a passage as this. First of all, as we come to these few verses, we admit, we admit that this is very strange. This is very strange. Even in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is a very strange passage and very difficult to un unfathom, uh, unravel. But uh, friends, even so, with a little help tonight, we can understand what's going on and we can understand how it can help us. Well, this is strange. Yet, if Christ be who he said he was, then we would expect to be amazed. <clears throat> then people did not come and meet the Lord Jesus Christ and then go away and say, more ordinary life. No, of course not. They were amazed. As they met the Saviour, they were amazed at his preaching. They were astonished at the truth that he spoke. You see it there in verse 15. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. They were amazed at what he said. They'd never heard anything like it in their lives. And when they saw his life, and they saw that he was perfect and pure, there was no sin in him. Oh, they were amazed and astonished at him because of the way he lived his life and the things that he spake that never man spake before. You know, multitudes followed him and they glorified God as the sick were healed, as the deaf had their hearing restored, the blind could see, as the lepers were cleansed and as the dead were raised to life. And as that storm on the Sea of Galilee, as the disciples were in the boat, they were amazed that this one that could do such things. There was never ever an occasion when people would be passing the Lord Jesus Christ and couldn't help but express in their own hearts, this is amazing, this is astonishing. So we would expect to be astonished by these things. Let me just take you through a few verses in Luke's Gospel, show, showing that it happens all the time. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 25, we read this. It's amazing. Luke 8 verse 25. And he said unto them, where is your faith? This is after the storm, being calm. And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And chapter 4, and verse 36, And they were all amazed, and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits and they come out. And there's chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. I just want to give you a little flavour of this. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, 
for I am a sinful man, O Lord, for he was astonished. And all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. Same chapter, verse 15. But so much the more went there out a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of him of their infirmities. And verse 26. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Yes, in chapter 7. Verse 16, the last one. Well, we could have many, many of these. And there came a great fear on all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us and that God has visited his speaking, his people. All the way to the cross. Every time people came into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, they were amazed, astonished, filled with fear, filled with wonder. And we should also not think it wrong that as we come to chapter 4 here and see these temptations of the Lord Jesus Christ and what transpired, that we also should be amazed and filled with wonder at these things. It's not something that we should think of as fanciful, but something that we would expect from this one, the Lord Jesus Christ. These temptations of the Saviour, they may appear strange, but we are not dealing with the history of an ordinary man but the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, who the Lord Jesus was, we so admit. So we admit that this is strange. But as we understand him to be God, incarnate, come into this world to speak to us, to tell us the things that we need to know, we would expect, we would expect to be amazed and to be filled with wonder. Think of this. The Bible tells us the reason that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to be the saviour of men. The whole gospel is that here is God come into our lives so that we might see what God sees that we can't see as he sees our sin and he sees our ugliness in our souls and he sees how we need to be forgiven and he comes in his great mercy and in his great love. He comes with great uh, desire to see us changed and made pure and brought to heaven. And as we understand something of the cross, that there he died in the place of men and women like us so that we might be forgiven, so that the justice of God might fall on his son instead of us and we are allowed to go free. Well, he came. He came into this world to restore, to restore what he made in the first place. Satan who we understand from the scripture, we can only understand this from the Bible. Satan, as we understand, it was an angel of God, was the one that had spoiled it all, spoiled this world, spoiled men and women and youngsters. He had ruined it by his temptation of Adam and Eve and how they had sinned and rebelled against God. <clears throat> Should we think it strange that at the very time that God stepped in to put it all right, that Satan and all the forces of evil should not let loose and do their utmost to right, uh, right there from the beginning to stop Christ, to stop him and to, uh, as he comes to reclaim what was rightfully his, to oppose him. Well, of course, <coughs> as Christ came to preach the truth, should we not expect the father of lies to oppose him? As Christ came to proclaim salvation, 
and spiritual freedom, should we not expect our cruel taskmaster, Satan, the devil, to do all he could to hold on to us? As Christ comes to bring peace with God and joy unspeakable and forgiveness and pardon and everlasting life, should we not expect the author of sin and misery and war and hatred and error to stand idly by and do nothing? As Christ comes to win souls, to seek and to save those that were lost, should we not expect the enemy of souls to use all in his power to stop the only one that could help us? Of course we should expect that. And that's what we have here. That's what we have here, friends, in these temptations of the Lord Jesus Christ. It may seem strange, but what else would we expect? It's not as strange as we sometimes think. But why was it? Why was it that the Son of God allowed himself to be tempted? Well, that needs an answer, doesn't it? This account shows something very special about the Lord Jesus Christ. We Christians have a lot of trouble convincing people that this Lord Jesus Christ is God. But, you know, it's equally difficult to convince people that this God is man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these temptations teach us that though he is the Son of God, he is very much a man. God himself cannot be tempted with evil. God in heaven, of course, is above temptation, of course. But men can be tempted and Satan knew that here was a man. Son of God, yes, but a man nonetheless. And Satan's experience of man was that he had never failed. He had never failed to tempt man to sin. From the very first man and woman to that day, he had never failed us also, of course. We see here the Lord Jesus Christ as a man being tempted of the devil. It's very important to understand that God does not blame us for being tempted. The very fact that Christ was tempted shows that God does not hold us account, into account for being tempted. Of course not. Verses 1 and 2 actually happened to help us. Look here. Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterwards hungered. That actually happened, friends, to help us. Christ came into this world to help us. Everything that he did, every minute detail of his earthly life was for us, that we might be helped to find our God and know salvation. All that Christ went through was to help us, if only we would see it. God knows that temptation is not our fault. It also means God understands. He understands. We might often think, God doesn't understand me. God doesn't understand me and my life and my problems and my trials and my difficulties and my temptations. But nonetheless, we see here, God does understand because here is the Son of God going through terrible temptation. Well, of course, we must understand that. 
we might often think that God doesn't understand, but he does, friends. We see it here in these few verses that we look at here this evening. Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was tempted, but he didn't yield to sin. That's the difference. We are tempted all the time, and we yield to a host of sins, breaking the Ten Commandments, left, right, and centre. And oh, friends, that is sin in God's eyes, and we shall be judged for it. There's no doubt about that. But here, the Lord Jesus Christ is tempted, but he does not sin. He does not yield to sin. Our conscience tells us when we've done wrong, so does the Bible. We've broken God's law. God will have to deal with that. He is holy, and he is just. But here we see that Christ is tempted, but he does not sin. He is the only man he is the only man ever to succeed. Proof enough that he is the only one that can help us in our sin and in our temptation. We must see that though strange, though this is amazing, yet here, these temptations are just the same as our experience of temptation all through our lives. Now you might wonder at that, but I'll show you that that is exactly the case. And that's why Christ allowed himself to be tempted. This is just what is happening to us, even this moment, as we sit in these pews. You see here in chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4, and the devil said to him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him and said, said It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now this first temptation that we have recorded here concerns bread, or, of course, our bodily needs. Of course, we will not be actually uh, tempted to turn stones to bread for obvious reasons. So what's this got to do with us? Surely God knows we need bread, Surely the Lord knows that we need our homes and our clothes, the bare necessities of life. So what is this to do with tempting us and us sinning? Well, look what Christ says here. He says, if thou be the Son of God, command this stone to be made bread. And the Lord Jesus immediately says, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That's so interesting for us he mentions the word of God. You see, this is man's constant temptation. People to believe that physical things are more important than spiritual things. That's the temptation. That's the temptation that came to Christ and that's the temptation that comes to us every moment almost of our lives. Man may live for a few evil years if he has enough bread, but real life Spiritual life, eternal life, comes on feeding on, believing in, and following and devoting oneself to God's word and his message of salvation. The Lord shows us here in verse 4 that God's word tells us that we need forgiveness and we need salvation and we need pardon and we need new spiritual life, that we need to turn from our sin and trust in him and that that is far more important than even physical bread. Now, you may not have thought that. Each day, you are being tempted 
to turn your eyes away from spiritual matters. Spiritual matters to do with your soul and the invisible things that will be lost when this world is finished with. But such is Satan's subtlety that most do not even know that this is what is going on. That as well as being tempted to ignore God's word, to ignore God's message of salvation, not only are they tempted to do that, but actually sin time and time and time again in turning away from God's word, let alone feeding and depending on it. Do you see how important this history is to us? You might think of all sorts of temptations that you struggle with day by day. Satan uses uh, this uh, temptation to make a sin in not seeing the importance of God's word, in not seeing the importance of spiritual things, of eternal things, of invisible things, the message of salvation. He would make us always to think that I've got to get my shopping, I've got to look after my home, I've got to look after the children and the grandchildren. I've got to see to my health. I've got to do all these physical things, but pushed away. Is any idea that spiritual things, the things to do with God's word, are far, far more important? How successful has Satan been with such a temptation and such a sin that we should think that bread is more important than feeding on his good, good word. Well, strong temptations that for small gains, a little bread, you should be lost eternally. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't tripped up here. He knew straight away what the devil was trying to do to make him think that in his great hunger after 40 days there, that having bread was more important than spiritual things. And he says, no, man should not live by bread alone, but on the word of God. Oh, how we need his help. He is the one that sees through the devil. He is the one that can help us with such a temptation. How we need to trust in him and believe in him and go to him for help. Let's look at this second temptation. Verse 5. The devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power and authority will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve Again, we have to say that this is not likely uh, for us, uh, a temptation in the, the literal sense that it happened to the Saviour. Remember, Christ had made all this anyway. He is the creator of the world. So Satan offers all that he has stolen for one act of vile worship. But look, Satan offers us just the same sort of things in our lives. He tempts us with wanting to be a little better off, to have some little power over others, to fulfil some proud ambitions. Notice all these things are for self. Look there in verse 6. All this will I give thee, 
and the glory of them. For it is delivered up to me and to whomsoever I will give it. If therefore thou wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Well, this is all for personal gain and for personal uh, help and for personal uh, building up of ourselves. You see how Christ answers there in verse 8. He said, get behind me, Satan. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Well, you see, in this situation, the Lord Jesus Christ says, worshipping Satan is really worshipping ourselves, preening ourselves, looking to ourselves, making sure we come first in all things, making ourselves our God. That's what this temptation is all about. And really, worshipping ourselves. The temptation is that looking to ourselves, looking to our desires, our wants, our cravings, our comforts, our own way and will in this life, all such temptations are calculated to turn us from doing what we really ought to be doing, worshipping God, serving God, loving God. Isn't that true? Isn't it absolutely true? Do we not worship ourselves? Oh, we don't think of ourselves as falling down or worshipping ourselves, but this is exactly what we're doing. All our lives are given to ourselves, our own comfort, our own gratification, everything. And again, we see how successful Satan has been in the lives of countless millions in this world and in our lives. What do we think of worshipping God? We're worshipping ourselves. We're looking for what we can get. This is all our lives, our comforts, our joys. All these things are for ourselves. We've got no time for worshipping God. The very thing that we were made for, that we were placed in this world for, to seek God and worship God and serve him and love him and praise him. And the Lord God, it says here in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to worship God. We're not to worship Satan. We're not to worship ourselves. We should worship our God. Yet what portion of our lives has been given over to doing just that? Is it not true that we will we'll go after all the things that will bring us a little glory, a little comfort, a little self-gratification, pander to our pride, or turning us from worshipping God? How we need help. How we need help. The great commandment, the Lord Jesus Christ says, is thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength. All our being is really there that we might worship God. And when we don't, then we sin. But the devil has tempted us and made us think that we'll worship ourselves first. How we need the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't succumb to this temptation. How we need him. Look at this third temptation, verse 9. And the devil brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Well, what's this temptation all about? This is not so easy. 
this is very difficult. Here, uh, Satan was tempting Christ to tempt God. You have to understand that as you look at it. It's not uh, Christ saying, I'm God, you shouldn't tempt me. That's not what's going on here. Here, Christ says, if I fall from the temple, expecting the angels to catch me, then I'll be testing God. I'll be tempting God. And the Bible says that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying here. Well, this is what we might call a religious temptation. Here are Old Testament quotes, quoting from the Psalms and other places. Deuteronomy. How can this be like the way in which the devil tempts us? Well, look what Christ says there in verse 12. He said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. We might protest at once and say, well, I don't tempt God. I'm not tempted to tempt God. Well, it's not easy. Perhaps we should have started with this question. What does it really mean to be tempted? What can it mean to tempt God? Surely you cannot do that. Surely to try to get someone to do something wrong, that's temptation, but you can't do that with God, surely. Well now, does it not seem ridiculous to attempt to get God to do something wrong? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. But you will be amazed. You will be amazed to hear that that is precisely what we try to do all the time. Ridiculous as it may seem. What is it that men and women keep saying to God in so many words? This is what we say. Look at me, Lord. Look at me, Lord. You should have me into your heaven. Look at what I've done. Look at the sort of life that I've lived. I should be on the way to heaven. Look at these many worse people. Look at my prayers, Lord. Look at the times that I've attended church quite often over the years, perhaps even regularly now. Look at my Bible reading. I often read the Bible. Listen, Lord, I hear, I hear that you are a loving and a merciful God. Well, I'm sure you will overlook my misdeeds. You promise to save? Well, Lord, save me. If you promise to bear us up so that even a stone, well, well, I'm sure you will take care of little me. Ah, oh, you say, that sounds a little silly. How is that tempting God? Well, this is not easy. Maybe, maybe we tempt him to be angry. Such arrogance from us telling God what he should do. Such misunderstanding of how we have treated God, our maker. But even God's anger is pure. But maybe it tempts God because we put him in such a dilemma. Dare I say such a thing? Here is God, full of love and mercy and grace so longing for us to turn from our sin, so longing for us to repent of our sin and have done with it, and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to yield up our lives to him. And then he can bring us to his heaven. And here we are wanting eternal life, and wanting heaven. And he wants to 
give it to us. And yet we won't really turn to him and trust in him. And we won't really leave off our old sins and our old lives. Our whole lives seem to tempt God. He sees us pathetic, sinful, cannot help ourselves. Is he tempted to say, well, come into my heaven anyway, despite all the, your life and despite that you haven't really come and trusted in me and believed in my word. Come in anyway. He cannot. He is God, the just God. My, how we try him and test his patience. Don't tempt God. Believe him. Believe his word. Receive him. Trust him. The Lord Jesus Christ was not tripped up here, as we all are. How we need him. Friends, do you see these temptations? We are tempted and we sin every day not to see the importance of spiritual things and all the physical things of life come before the spiritual and the eternal things and the gospel. We are tempted and we sin every day to worship ourselves, to put ourselves first rather than to love and to worship God our maker and to serve him. We are tempted and we sin every day to try, try to test God and to tempt him to so try his loving and his merciful heart. Satan is totally successful in all such sins. Ah, oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Here he has a whole world under his sway as he tempts them in these ways day by day in exactly the same way as he tempted our Lord Jesus Christ who was not brought to sin by these temptations. Oh, friends, that's why. That's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we need him as he came into this world to show us the way back to God from the dark paths of sin. That's why he died on that cross, that we might be forgiven and also empowered to overcome such temptation and to see through even Satan's subtle temptation of us from day to day and to put indeed spiritual things first and to serve the Lord our God and to not tempt God to bring us into his heaven. Well, he'll never do that, but to trust him so that he will and will lovingly bring us into glory as we come and believe in that penalty that the Lord Jesus Christ paid upon the cross for all our sin, for all the sin that came into our lives because of the temptation of the devil and our own evil selves. Oh, friends, how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can help us in temptation and in our sin, but also to rid us of all the sin by which we have offended our God. You see these things, friends? So strange, so amazing, so seemingly outside of our experience. And yet they're exactly, they're exactly us. Exactly what we need to see and hear and understand so that as we see the Lord Jesus Christ going through this experience, we might see that he went through it and never sinned. We go through it every day without even noticing and sin through all these things. Oh, may the Lord help us. Friends, come to this powerful saviour. Come to this son of God. Come to this one that died on the cross that we might be forgiven 
and uh, brought to heaven. Oh, that he might, even this night, become our saviour. Let's pray together. Our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank thee for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for his strength. We thank thee, Lord, for his wisdom. We thank thee, Lord, that he went through all these things that we might understand where we stand. And, oh, Lord, how much we need his help. Come and bless us tonight with salvation. May we come to him. May we be those that see that we are weak and uh, laden with sin. And, oh, Lord, that we could never come through these things in our own strength, but come and bless us and help us and grant us salvation, for we ask it for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Let's sing together hymn number 389. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. 389.